You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, May 16th, 2022. This is episode number 280. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about Woody Harrelson's new dispensary, a Long Beach dispensary sells for dollars, Minnesota relaxing its regulations, the old I smell marijuana trick, people that voted for Biden overwhelmingly want legalization, California's governor proposes a tax cut, jungle boys accused of gender discrimination and unpaid wages, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lameet. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What are you talking about today, Rico? All right, so my story is by Hannah Mad- Madden's Walk from the uh, Los Angeles Business Journal. And Long Beach Cannabis Dispensary sells for $1 million. If you want to know where the cannabis industry from a top-down macro viewpoint, just follow the money. The big vanilla deals that make headlines where sizable amounts of currency are exchanged for um, or what might be passed off as just another mainstream American business deal. If you didn't read the fine print seeing weed was involved, those are the type of deals um, that are leading indicators that give us hints to what kind of risk the institutional money, $50 million buyers and up, uh, the funds and large investment groups, what kind of risk they're willing to take on. This is one of those deals. The bakery Long Beach sold last week for $11 million in the largest recorded retail dispensary sale in the state of California. Public documents reveal the 8,300-square-foot lemonade co-branded dispensary was purchased by a foreign investor represented by CBRE Group. Stan Johnson and Company's uh, Christian Tremblay represented the seller and spoke on brokering the Golden State's largest retail deal to date. 
We have seen an increase in demand for cannabis assets due to their attractive yields in the current net lease environment and their high sales on a per square foot uh, foot basis. Additionally, with the potential of safe banking and lending options continuing to evolve, we anticipate the demand to continue. $11 million dropped on a retail space in Long Beach ain't nothing to be ignored. A one-off deal doesn't necessarily indicate a trend, but if Tremblay proves right and we begin seeing similar sized dominoes falling in the commercial real estate side of the game, it's generally a sign investors believe that safe banking will be passing soon and the risk in acquiring large cannabis assets are lessening. Uh, Taking it a step further, they're betting on conservatives soon taking over federal industry policy, making the industry more attractive in a traditional sense you know, in a Chad-friendly business values and such sense. Um, no ver- further details were revo- revealed about the transaction, but it'll be interesting to see if new f- if the new foreign investors are connected with Cookies, uh, Lemonade's sister company, and if any changes are made from a branding or management standpoint. This is Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I'm interested to see what the, um, everybody else thinks. Is this a one-off deal, or are we looking at the beginning of a trend going forward? What do you think, Susan? I mean, I really want to know what country this foreign investors from and how much of that money was possibly that $40 million aid that we sent to Ukraine. I'd like to know that, too. Huh? Chelsea? What? Where's that foreign what money coming? About? Where's the money coming from? Exactly. Do you think we're going to see a lot of that? More foreign investment showing up in the cannabis dispensaries? Without I think I think we're going to... Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I think we're going to see a large changing of the guards uh, once we see like some of these investors are going to be outed as uh, Russian oligarchs and their deep-pocketed interest. You can see a lot of stuff going on sale very quickly and uh, new investors coming in the game. I understand that real estate is a, a common uh, vehicle to launder money, money, so it might be part of that too. Does when do you just sell your your store if something bad happens, like the Helios Dayspring thing? Um, does does all that just go away when ownership changes? Well, it, it seems depends like on how it's written up in the contract. It right. seems like for Helios, it has. He just sold his thing for over twenty two million plus to Glasshouse. So, yeah, it's crazy. All right, let's keep smoking the news. Let's. He's the industry's longest continuously running retailer, known in Detroit as White Gucci and known in West Hollywood as El Presidente. He's the mink coat wearing, private jet hopping, emerald cup judging, the Wizard of Oz himself, Jason Beck. What you got for us this beautiful Monday morning? Oh, yeah. Good morning, Rico. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend, whatever celebrations they attended or didn't attend. Because medical marijuana chains embrace bud sales as Minnesota relaxes regulations. When little public fanfare, Rise, formerly known as Leafline Labs, began selling rolls and jars of buds or dried raw cannabis flower to adult medical and medical and adult use consumers on the first day such sales were legal in minnesota for the state's burgoing uh, medical cannabis industry the date marked a long-awaited breakthrough of sorts legal cannabis sales officially began on july 1st of 2015 but that time it was signed into law by then governor mark dayton the state legislation that authorized those sales were widely considered the most restrictive of its kind in the nation A patient would have to meet one of nine major qualifying conditions to receive cannabis in a liquid pill or vaporized delivery method. Smoking cannabis was still off the table. 
State law has since loosened, at least by a pinch, among what's now 17 qualifying conditions. Now we have chronic pain, and that's a big one because there's a lot of things that fall under chronic pain, said Sarah Lynch, commercial general manager for Rises Minnesota Dispensaries. Still, the industry as a legal uh, option remains nascent and restricted relatively to how other states that have legalized cannabis, but expanding. What had once been limited to back alley transactions has now moved into a new, more regulated and corporatized space in Minnesota. Only two companies, Rise and Green Goods, are authorized to operate cannabis dispensaries, and their approach is night and day compared to the illicit market. That commercial space still includes but isn't limited to products heavier on CBD, a chemical in the cannabis hemp, da-da-da-da-da. You know, you guys, everyone knows what the fuck CBD is. CBD products, which are increasingly uh, commonplace from, from gas stations and coffee shops, unless you're talking about Delta 8 and health food stores, are legal under federal law but still restricted in some states. At Minnesota dispensaries, customers can choose products on both CBD and a THC level, mixing and matching by preference. With the addition of flour, Minnesota is moving into the middle of the pack of the regulated side. Dr. Kale Kingsley, chief executive officer for Minneapolis-based Goodness Growth Holdings, which operates eight green goods dispensary locations throughout Minnesota and others throughout uh, uh, four other states. There are, are a slew of states that have CBD-only laws like Iowa, which have de- 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 definitively restrictive limits on THC levels, and they have partici- participation from healthcare providers, Kingsley added. Generally, it's been a thorough incremental program, and that's a good approach if you want things to be done well and regulated for patients. Things are going in the right direction. Well, finally, that you guys can allow flour. Yeah, things are going in the right direction. You definitely need to open up that patient base to much more other conditions other than just chronic pain, although I do agree chronic pain is one of those big uh, trigger ones that basically anyone can uh, get a cannabis recommendation for. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. It's about time, Minnesota. Welcome to the party. Everyone knows that cannabis is good for pain. Chronic pain should absolutely be a qualifying condition. Uh, we've got Dr. Mary Clifton up from the audience. Did you want to weigh in on Jason's headline? Hey, happy Monday, everybody. I, I'm excited to hear that Minnesota is going to offer flour for their patients. That's wonderful. Iowa is really restrictive, but they also have... THC waiver that you can get after you've been in their program for more than 30 days. You can go back to your prescribing doctor and then get higher THC concentration products that they sort of leave behind the counter unless you have the waiver. Hold on. Dr. Mary, you're trying to say that they have like actual real THC products available for sale in Iowa? For a THC waiver, uh, usually I write it for up to 32 grams a month. Uh, for people who who do don't get a response for the initial products, but you have to have joined the regulated market and be registered as an Iowa patient, and then you know if the products are ineffective thirty days later, you can get a waiver. I just want to say I think that we have seen again and again. What's going on? Everybody's breaking up. Liz, can you hear Liz? Summer's on the way. It's time to break up, Susan. <laughs> uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we've got Jason up from the audience. Jason, did you want to weigh in on this headline quickly? We're at time. Oh, I just wanted to say hi. I'm Jason from the Bay. Um, whatever uh, Mary uh, Clifton says, uh, Dr. Mary Clifton, um, she's, she's very good and she knows her stuff. Uh, 
but I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued with the uh, conversation of cannabis. I love it. All right. Let's keep smoking the news. You should have gonged them before that, Susan. I'm sorry. But, but nonetheless, slow, Susan. I, yeah, I was tr- trying to be kind. I thought yeah, it was no, going no, somewhere. No, no we're, we're here to do news, <laughs> not to be kind. The news is not kind. The news is truth. And coming up next, she's an original breeder with a golden bong from California to Michigan and now back to Cali. From the D to the OC, she brought it back, back to Cali, y'all. CEO of the Original Breeders League and mother of two with the ability to spawn more due to her fertilian breeding abilities. It's Priscilla Agoncillo. What do you have for us this morning? Good morning. Thank you very much. That always makes me laugh, uh, Jason. So uh, my article is, I smell marijuana. Cops' warrantless searches targets poor minority Tennessee communities. So every day in Tennessee and across the country, citizens are being stopped, searched, and seized solely on the power of these three words. I smell marijuana. Under the law in Tennessee and a host of other states, a law enforcer's claim of smelling cannabis trumps constitutional protections against invasion of privacy and unreasonable search and seizure. A cop who claims to smell marijuana can, without any evidence or search warrant, search a citizen's belongings and vehicle. It's a decades-old legal doctrine known as the plain smell exception to the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. It was established in Tennessee in 1976. Its premise was this. Nothing else in the world smells like cannabis. Um, So they basically have the ability to uh, 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 trump your constitutional rights and uh, search you. The Department of Justice policy experts warned in a 1987 report that the I smell marijuana exception would encourage more searches and seizures without warrants. So basically they're saying that nothing else, again, smells like marijuana. So when an officer does smell it or say that they smell it, they have probable cause to believe that the person is committing a crime. Um, All they have to say is the magic words, I smell marijuana, and that gives them basically a carte blanche approval to search anybody that is traveling down the road or in the area. So as we all know, hemp is now legal to produce, buy, and smoke in Tennessee and has been since 2017. And we all know that sometimes it can smell exactly the same as cannabis. There is no way to know just how often police use the smell of marijuana as a basis to conduct a search. Officers aren't required to report every search or interaction with a citizen and instead only document those that lead to an arrest. So there's really no accountability for officers who lie about the smell or their ability to pinpoint that source of the smell. The article goes over many different cases where it's basically freaking impossible um, and has led to different arrests and and things like that. Again, there's no way for officers and drug detection dogs to determine the difference between the smell of hemp and legal cannabis. It's only through laboratory testing that hemp can be distinguished from cannabis, and those tests aren't conducted until a person has been arrested and the case set for trial. So the plain smell doctrine remains the law of the land in Tennessee and in many other states, including some that have already legalized hemp and cannabis. We obviously need to end this measure. Uh, it's basically a, a uh, uh, get-into-jail-free card, and it's bullshit, especially with now how the, the industry has evolved and our laws have changed. This is Priscilla reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
I, I would like um, to ask Chris if he feels, Chris Eggers, if he feels that uh, that law will ever be taken off the books. Because I feel like even if they take that off the books, they'll find some other reason to racial uh, racial profile. And, you know, say you got the wrong kind of air freshener hanging from your rearview mirror. mirror. <laughs> I just think they'll find something else. I don't know if, if it'll ever be taken off the books, but uh, to your point, Dr., the vehicle code is, you know, as thick as a phone book. And I think without accountability and without, um, you know, proper documentation and, and uh, stat tracking, absolutely, I think officers um, will continue to use that law to, you know, search search folks. And I think it would be interesting to see, and I think that they should, if, if they're going to use that as a, as a means to, to search, um, needs to be documented very, very well. Um, and there needs to be accountability, absolutely. So uh, drug-sniffing canines are trained to smell four different terpenes, which are the four most prevalent terpenes that are in cannabis, which are the same terpene profiles that are in hemp. So if you really want to fuck with law enforcement, carry some fucking indoor hemp in your car and just tell them that that's what you have. Well, they said that they actually trained them on beta-carotheline. And- yep, beta-carotheline is one of them, Liz. Yeah, but even if you have that, the whole point is that no. they will only find Priscilla, out after. Priscilla, the whole point of it is that if you let them know, oh, this is what you smell, this is legal indoor hemp, and da-da-da-da-da, you take away their searching power because you said, this is what I have on me, and this is what you're smelling. Hopefully. Which but, is federally but, legal. But what, they're, what they're saying is you can only prove that after you've been arrested and you've gone to trial. You should only blah, have blah, to blah. prove that after you've been arrested because that's the point why you're proving it is because you got arrested. Otherwise, they're just going to let you go and drive the fuck off. Exactly. But we need to do something before you have to be arrested. So that is like a 50-50 chance if we do away with the I smell marijuana uh, you know, uh, exception to your Fourth Amendment right, then you know that solves that. So, and that's assuming that the cops are going to abide by the Fourth Amendment, which we know that they don't. Yeah, exactly. So. They they mentioned in this article. I I remember we reported on it. There was a case where a cop pulled someone over uh, because they smelled marijuana, and the car was two cars ahead of them, windows up. The cop car had windows up, and he still said that he smelled it. So they will abuse the law whenever they feel like it. Yes, on the other side, though, you know. I have smelled some pretty stanky ass weed, even with the windows rolled up. <laughs> I think the really? car was. I think the car might have been made by hemp. Made Carry out. indoor hemp with you in the car to protect it could your be, ass. It could be the area you drive through. If you drive through Carpinteria, California, it uh, stinks outside. It's not in your car. Actually, it's actually outside. Let's just give everybody free uh, car uh, car air fresheners that all smell like weed. Gas. Yeah. yeah, everyone do it. Everyone smells like it. <laughs> Buy better gas. Buy better gas. And smoke indoor, right, Jason? If you don't smoke out, if you don't smoke indoor, you might as well only be breathing. You heard it here. That is so not true. A hundred percent it is. <laughs> <All> right, so- <laughs> you are fake news. <laughs> you are fake news. That's so, uh, a tagline that will not catch on. <laughs> let's keep let's keep smoking this news. Now, with a smoother delivery than DHL and a price point lower than USPS, our next correspondent's got the chops to break down high-end cannabis news into more palatable serving sizes, getting access to the people because everybody got to eat. Also, a 
He is a communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. Clark Kent in the streets and Superman on the spreadsheet. Christopher Smith, what is the news? Thank you. Thank you, Rico. Good morning, Jason and Susan. My article today is from Mary Jane, a Cherokee tribe of whose $15 million land purchase to grow med- uh, medical cannabis in North Carolina. Uh, last week, the Cherokee tribe, uh, Tribal Council voted to purchase 95 acres of trust land in North Carolina for, for $15 million. The council said it will dedicate the land to housing development and medical cannabis production. This caps a year-long effort by Principal Chief Richard Sneed, who helped pave the way for medical cannabis within the Cherokee community. An article from last August in the Smoky Mountain News explains his thinking this is a compassionate care issue. This is an issue for people who have chronic pain, for people who have cancer and who are in chemotherapy and can't eat, for people who have PTSD, for soldiers who come back from combat, for those who are battling opioid addiction. This is the off-ramp. So the Cherokee tribe in North Carolina is called the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. There are about 9,000 in this tribe, who, uh, most of whom live on 57,000 acres in uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains. The res there is called the Kuala Boundary. The Eastern Band is related to the Cherokee Nation, which is 200,000. They live in northeastern Oklahoma. So Rob Sanuk, the uh, uh, tribal member and attorney, uh, pushed back on this this move toward, uh, toward cannabis within the tribe. He said, I'm trying to find out why we're looking at passing an ordinance to authorize cannabis authorized cannabis, which is illegal under federal law currently. If you open up a facility today and you give tribal members cannabis, the tribe, the members, the people who do it will be subject to arrest. This is an illegal action and nothing can change that currently. And Chief Sneed responded, we are sovereign. And if we're going to be sovereign, then we should act like that. Exercise our sovereignty. This is what our people are asking for. Tribal regulations based on a 42-page ordinance was passed in August of last year. Um, the, the tribe uh, approved the cultivation, sale, and use of medicinal cannabis for adults over age 21. Qualified patients will be able to purchase under up to one ounce of weed or a total of 2,500 milligrams of THC per day with a maximum cap of six ounces or 10,000 milligrams per month. Don't know how all that works out based on other regulations, but I'm sure it's pretty much in line with what else is going on there. There will be a tribal cannabis control board to set the regulations, and while cannabis is not legal in North Carolina, it's expected that the tribe legalizing it will only be legal on tribal land. Chief Sneed stated that tribal members will understand these limitations. Everybody understands that if you go off-boundary, that's off-reservation, it's still illegal. We are adults, and we understand that. So as in New York and Michigan, Montana, and South, Carolina, uh, South Dakota, where tribes are ahead of states in terms of legalization, getting cannabis businesses up and running, medical cannabis is now legal on Cherokee land in western North Carolina, one of the few holdout states that have failed to enact its own medical marijuana law. For now, North Carolina is just one of 13 states that are still in the dark ages and lack direct access to, med- to medical cannabis. A bill in the North Carolina Senate known as NC Compassionate Care Act would make medical marijuana legal for use for qualifying conditions that are the typical standard ones for other states. Uh, the state legislature is currently debating a bill that could change that, in fact, but it, they are not too optimistic that it will pass. So the tribe has uh, gotten ahead of the state yet again, 
And let's see how that all works out in North Carolina. Um, in, in neighboring South Carolina, by the way, uh, the, the, an effort by a South Carolina senator to resurrect legislation to legalize medical care, marijuana was unsuccessful on Wednesday, one week after the House killed Senate-passed legislation to allow patients to legal access cannabis. So um, not much good news coming from the South from the states, but the tribes are moving ahead. And I'm done speaking. I think it's a great opportunity for cannabis tourism. I would love to go on a reservation and do some glamping and smoking weed with the tribe. That that sounds like a blast. You're going to camp out in a teepee, Susan? Yes. Hotbox that thing. But let's keep smoking the news. That's appropriation, Susan. <laughs> oh, boy. Is it? <laughs> yeah, that is. Political strategist by day. Yeah. Baker by night, a true female multitasker who can not only bake up a storm, but also knows how to make the sausage on Capitol Hill. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider. Taking off the apron, it's Gretchen Gailey. What do you have this morning for us, Gretchen? Good afternoon, Jason. Uh, My story, I'm sure, will be of particular interest to you. Uh, The headline uh, comes from Marijuana Moment. California governor proposes marijuana tax cuts to combat illicit markets. Uh, the governor of California unveiled an updated budget proposal on Friday that calls for the elimination of the state's marijuana cultivation tax and revised cannabis tax revenue allocations. Governor Gavin Newsom's uh, May revised budget would take steps intended to combat the illicit market and make the legal industry more competitive, in large part by zeroing out the cultivation tax that marijuana businesses currently incur. It's a move that stakeholders have been pushing for, especially as businesses have struggled to keep up with rising inflation and reduced demand compared to peak coronavirus pandemic levels. The governor emphasized on Friday that he was specifically committed to exploring ways to minimize the influence of illicit growers and sellers on undercutting legal licensed businesses. And while one might assume that removing the cultivation tax would hamper revenue streams for the state, a recent analysis from the Reason Foundation actually found that monthly tax revenue would increase by 123% uh, by 2024 if the policy change was enacted. The report said that ending the cultivation tax would mean lower costs for consumers and therefore increase legal purchases that would more than offset any revenue losses over time. Newsom's proposal on its own isn't binding, however. It would need to pass the legislature with at least a two-thirds majority in order to be implemented. He said, we've been working very closely with legislative leaders and we've made tremendous progress. We haven't finalized any of that, so I want to be careful not to disrupt that progress. Sam Rodriguez, policy director for the Cannabis Farmers Advocacy Group, Good Farmers, Great Neighbors, praised Newsom's move in a statement to Marijuana Moment. He said California farmers are pleased that the governor has taken a leadership role in addressing the ills of the illicit market with a starting point on tax relief. We look forward in working the legislative budgetary process to obtain more tax relief necessary to stabilize the supply chain. The legal market in our state needs a real bootstrap approach from our state. Anything less will potentially devastate the newly created cannabis economy, and that will be a travesty. Uh, I think this is a great move by Governor Newsom, um, but I am not a California grower, uh, so I will leave that uh, up to Mr. Jason Beck to kind of weigh in and our other folks in California. But I would say the elimination of the cultivation tax is a good step to helping move the California market forward. The scratch of the state of Kansas are. 
Look, so I'm, I'm positive about this, but I'm also going to be a realist, and this is a half-step measure. I'm extremely elated that the cultivation tax is going to be eliminated because it's de- definitely something California needed. And the fact that it's the only agricultural product that had a cultivation tax in the entire fucking nation, I'm fucking really glad that it's going away. However, they are planning in, uh, in two or four years on raising the excise tax from a 15% to a whopping 19%, which is totally ridiculous. Totally fucking ridiculous. And I'm hopeful that we can generate enough, enough tax revenue in between the time of July and the time that they want to institute this new, uh, this new tax, this new excise tax. So then that way we can have justification for not increasing the excise tax because at 15%, it's already at 27%. And so I'm not even going to do the math to tell you what it would be at 19%. Jason, do you do you expect that the legislature will pass the uh, governor's budget? If it, and this will happen? Yeah, if the governor is is saying is is signaling uh, th- this way, then I anticipate the legislature to follow suit. Stephen Elliott is up from the audience. Did you want to weigh in, Stephen? Oh, but of course, because I am a cultivator in California, and thank you, fucking Newsom, for getting off your ass and finally doing something. Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm 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 right there with Jason, as as unfortunately I so um, quite often find myself aligned with the gentleman that uh, <laughs> it makes me because you know I speak truth, Stephen. Uh, when when it comes to mathematics and taxes, you do speak the truth uh, there, Jason, and I'm not denying that at all. And I happen to agree with Jason. The ta- overtaxation of cannabis in general is pretty absurd, and it's it's. Uh, equivalent to like highway robbery uh number one because it's still trickle down economics does not work in cannabis folks uh because if you use the ideal of trickle down economics um it leaves the farmers always being shit on and if a farmer can't sustain themselves how the hell are we going to grow any fucking cannabis for anybody you know i mean it's just it's simple mathematics but i am very very grateful that the uh that the um, somebody's finally pulled their head out their rear end and um, stopped taxing cultivators. Like Jason said, it is the only agricultural product that is taxed in the United States of America like it is. And um, it, it was absolutely ridiculous. And you should see the amount of pressure, stress, um, not to mention the local authorities, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and everybody thinking that they can tax the grower to death because not only do we have to deal with the uh, state tax, we have to deal with our own local taxes for cultivation. I hope they make the local taxes for cultivation go away as well uh, because that's pretty freaking ridiculous. Um, and uh, you'd be surprised as to how many growers are not here today specifically because of this tax. And I think it should have been done earlier, but I'm very grateful that it is happening. Susan, well, I think Nick has something to say on this. And while we're bringing up whoever else Jason is suggesting, I, I think it's also important for folks to take a look at uh, the study that was done that shows that lowering taxes can help to bring in more revenue, that you don't need to rely on taxing the shit out of this industry to bring in state revenue. There are better ways to generate dollars, um, and high taxes is not the answer. Yeah, I just wanted to add that the, the tax could be changing as soon as July 1st if this gets put through. Um, And the big part for for retailers, at least, and for distributors um, is also that they're shifting the point of collection from the distribution element to the retail element. 
Um, so now retailers will be responsible for paying their own excise tax to the state, which I think is a big, um, a big plus for distributors that have been um, stuck with a lot of tax debt that's not theirs because retailers aren't paying them. Um, and also it says that they will be maintaining the 15% tax rate um, at least through 23. So that's a positive. Yeah, through 23, bro. We're already at 22. So 22, 23, 24, they're slated to increase it to a whopping 19 fucking percent, which is totally ridiculous and preposterous. That was really good info, Nick. Thanks for sharing that. I wonder what that's going to do to burner distros and people, what that's going to do. And then I'm also concerned that this is just like a play, a political play, that nothing's going to really happen that's really going to help us. It's just going to move it further down the line. Why would it do anything to burner distros, Liz? Because of the tax collection. But they're not collecting any tax if they're a burner distro. I thought they were paying some taxes, like the cultivation tax, just so they could keep operating. If they're not paying a tax, then who's going to be eating it at the end? Anyway, uh, and then add on federal taxation if that happens. It's uh, it's just crazy how much taxes this industry has to deal with. But we are going to quickly relight the room. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Our next correspondent's beer game is damn near as strong as his love for the plant. Midwest born and bred, this cannabis IP attorney and the CEO of Fruit Slabs operates out of Long Beach and delivers us the news daily with a bit of sweet vegan kosher flavor. Brandon Dorsky, what you got for us today, my brother? Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. My headline comes from Gondrepreneur. Its lawsuit accuses Jungle Boys of dis- gender discrimination, unpaid wages. Jungle Boys TLC, one of their parent co's, was named as a defendant in a lawsuit filed by two employees who claimed they were terminated after raising concerns about gender discrimination, unpaid wages, and work conditions. Plaintiffs Donna Rivadinera and Maria Mario Dela Cruz claim that Jungle Boys entity structure is designed to limit the obligation to pay overtime where employees are allegedly bounced amongst related companies to perform services. Riva Denera alleges that when she asked to move from a trimming job to the grow room that she was told, quote, they were called jungle boys for a reason. And the reason being no women were allowed to work in the grow ops. She also claims she was told she would be terminated if she became pregnant and that she was trapped in an office in an effort to force her to sign release paperwork. Jungle Boys claims the allegations are bogus and said, quote, the action will be defended in court on its merits and that their, quote, initial investigation into this action reveals that the allegations in the complaint are not accurate. Jungle Boys noted that the employees were actually terminated for drinking on the job. They acknowledged that the businesses identified in the lawsuit employ workers of any gender, of all gender identifications consistent with their experience, that there are women employed in all aspects of business from entry level to upper management, including the CEO of one of the businesses named in the suit is a minority female. Jungle Boys claims Riva Dinero was removed from her trimming job due to her inexperience and that cultivation positions are usually sought by those with previous cannabis cultivation experience. The plaintiffs are seeking unlimited damages. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. 
Brandon, when they say unlimited damages, what is the legal um, definition for that, or what is the maximum that they can receive? Well, when when a case is filed and it has unlimited damages, it means that the damages are going to be proven at trial, and there's not um, essentially it's not going into a court. that has a threshold on the amount of collectible damages, like in small claims court, there's so like, a maximum yeah, gotcha. threshold on what you can collect. So here they're, they're basically in the complaint, they're seeking unlimited damages. Most likely the complaint says an amount to be proven at trial. So they're seeking a civil adjudication. Yeah. And I mean, presumably they're likely seeking uh, back compensation lost over, you know, uh, lost over time based on what they're alleging that they, they'd work for one company and then, you know, be bounced from the company that's paying the trimmers to some other business that's paying them for some other work that they did. And so cumulatively, they never hit 40 hours of overtime, even though they were working for more than 40 hours a week for Jungle Boys. Does it, does it also mention how much alcohol it says that they consumed for what they were fired for? Uh, the article that I was reading from, which was published by Gondrepreneur, just said that Jungle Boys' comment was that they were terminated for drinking on the job. It didn't say what they were drinking or how much they were drinking or with what frequency. Uh, It just suggested that there was cause. Just an important note for all uh, cannabis employers, in California at least, is that uh, employees are allowed to have one beer on their lunch break. So I'm wondering if this is, if that is going to end up playing into this court case. Is that true? Yes, it is. Wild. Wow. Well, you know, I, I think I think that you sh- their name is dumb. I'm sorry. Don't call your company boys. Your cannabis company boys. Why not? Don't call it men. Why men, not? Med men. Why not? Because because they set sense, themselves up for this. That's, that's totally ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, aren't women important customers? And the, it's, it's the plant not, it's is not a female. exclusionary, Susan. It's not. It's not divisive. It's what the fuck they choose to call themselves. And anyone, a- I thought anyone in this world gets to call and consider themselves whatever they want to. So why are we shaming someone for calling themselves a guy? I'm not shaming them. I just think it's a dumb name. Well, that's just your own opinion, though. That's right. All right. So then that's that's Correct. just your own opinion. It's not. It's not. Oh, this should be this way. Well, maybe we want some jungle men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Tarzan. Tarzan. <laughs> you want to go down that appropriation? Rabbit yeah, hole baby. <laughs> well, let's keep smoking the news. <sighs> Jason. Mr. I Back. I was, waiting. I was waiting. I was waiting for you guys. <laughs> you are fake news. One visit to this office is sure to get you access to all kinds of blue pills. All shapes, sizes, and colors are always included and welcome in this safe space. She's the Plants for Life CEO and a dual board certified physician, always promoting cannabis as medicine. And if you play your cards right, she will mix some yellow ones with your blue ones to make a greener experience. Coming next to the stage, it's Dr. Felicia Dawson. What kind of medicine do you have for us today, Dr.? Thank you, Jason, for that introduction. Uh, Happy Monday, everyone. My headline comes from AP News. Police cartels in Oregon are morphing their pot-growing ops by Andrew Selsky. In response to foreign drug cartels establishing illegal outdoor marijuana farms in Oregon last year, the legislature formed the task force on cannabis-derived intoxicants and illegal cannabis production. Their mission? 
was to make recommendations regarding funding and structure to enable law enforcement to combat illegal grows, propose changes to state laws to address labor trafficking, water theft, and regulations on genetic engineering of cannabis, to name a few. Quote, it started with a simple ask of help, and it's turned into, oh my goodness, there's so much to deal with. And so I think we just have to kind of take one at a time, said State Representative Lily Morgan, a Republican from Grants Pass. Hundreds of greenhouses began popping up in southern Oregon's Josephine and Jackson counties in early 2021. Some were within city limits, others in plain sight along highways, as well as in remote valleys. They were not licensed by the Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Commission and are bankrolled by foreign criminal cartels from Latin America, Europe, and Asia. These illegal grows far outnumber law enforcement's ability to take them down. Illegal indoor grows have always existed. However, with this criminal element, they are flourishing. Josephine County Sheriff Dave Daniel states the cartels are going more indoors and breaking down into smaller operations to avoid detection. The state police have identified dozens of ethnic-based drug trafficking organizations which run between five and 30 grow sites. The Oregon uh, Criminal Justice Commission states that over 500 million plants have been seized in these counties from July 2020 to June 2021, along with 3.4 million in cash. And they feel that this is just a fraction of what's out there. In my opinion, we are seeing the fruits of 100 years of prohibition. While it's important for us to extinguish the flames of the cartel's illegal grows that threaten legal operators, consumer safety, our environment, gives cover to human trafficking, we also need to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. What is the wood supplying these fires? These cartels can't run without soldiers. Crime is driven by poverty and hopelessness. What's going on in their communities that they have chosen or feel they have no choice but to choose a life of crime to survive and feed their families? Besides putting out these fires, what can we do as individuals to address the root causes of poverty and hopelessness? This is Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis NewsHour. You know, really that one, Jason? Come on, man. Great points, Dr. Felicia. I think you really hit the nail on the head. It's like looking at the actual root cause instead of putting Band-Aids on this. Like, thank you for really enunciating it so well and clearly. And I really would like to know what can we do to help move forward in the right way. You know, people are pouring into the country and people are upset about people looking for better opportunities, but we're not looking at, you know, how climate change has destroyed their land uh, where they can't even grow crops or raise um, livestock anymore. Um, we're, we're eating up all this fast food and so their rainforests are being destroyed uh, to build palm oil plantations. You know, people are trying to make us clothes so we can have affordable consumer goods while they're, they don't even have uh, living wages and have a horrible quality of life just to placate Americans. So you know, there's a lot we can do as individuals in our own lives that can make it better for our neighbors around the globe. This is supposed to be addressed at the summit of the Americas, but uh, we don't even know if President Biden's going to show up. So, uh, you know. You think he, are you saying that he might sleep through the event, Susan? I didn't say that. I was asking. He just might not asking. show up. There, there's just so much controversy, you know. He doesn't want to invite Cuba and Nicaragua and um, doesn't want to have a real hemispheric conversation. So That doesn't sound inclusionary. Uh, it's not. 
At least he it's won't not. be playing golf through the event. Right. I'd, I'd rather yeah. him playing golf. At least we know he's awake. We need I'm to sure re, reimagine. We need to reimagine capitalism. That's Real, the problem. Capitalism is fucking great. Could be better. Uncheck capital. Yeah, uncheck everybody, uh, Jason. Right? Un, yeah, uncheck capitalism is is toxic. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely toxic. absolutely ruthless. I agree. Let's keep this. Let's keep this party going. She prefers her morning data lab tested and drama free. So make sure your news stories come with the COA and the chain of custody has been established. As an educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, and the founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County, our next correspondence redefining what it means to be a true Renaissance woman. One clink clubhouse link at a time is Liz Rogan. What you got? Hey, thank you so much, Rico, and greetings, everyone. Happy Monday. Thanks for joining us today. My story comes from Marijuana Moment by Kyle Yeager. The headline reads, 7 in 10 Biden voters support national marijuana legalization, the new poll finds. So I'm excited to bring you here, your daily dose of infused data here without the drama. So my story today highlights the mountains of anecdotal data we all experience daily. And just like Shakira's hips, these numbers don't lie. Americans are a whole, as a whole support federal cannabis legalization. The new poll from YouGov underscores this, saying 45% of respondents feel cannabis should be legalized nationwide. Another 25% said states should decide, and so a total of 70% support cannabis legalization of some sort. And that's a quote. Only 17% said cannabis should remain illegal, while 13% said they weren't sure. Maybe these folks should listen into our show to help inform them to make that decision. So there's a lot of common themes in this data. Who will most likely favor the legalization? Identifying people who identify as a Democrat actually uh, have a slight difference. 62% of them think cannabis should be nationally legalized. 16% said it should be left to the states. So a total of 78% of people who identify as Democrats responded in favor of some sort of legalization. Within individuals who re- identify as Republican, like our friend Jason back here, 36 supported 36% supported taking a state-level approach, 23% backed national legalization, and 30% said cannabis should remain banned across the board. Individuals who identify as independent had a 48% support of federal legalization, with 26% saying state's decision and 14% saying prohibition. Across all age demographics, the majority said cannabis should be legal either by a nationwide or state decision. That was kind of neat to see, even across the oldest contingent. More women overall supported nationwide legalization, 49% to 41% of men, and more males thought it should be left to the states, which is 28% of them to 21% of women. Despite Biden's refusal to move on national reform and allowing states to set their own policies, 70% of individuals who voted for him in 2020 favor national legalization, and only 12% of his voters prefer states' decisions. So he doesn't seem like he's quite on par with them. But Donald Trump's voters uh, support the state-level option. That's 45% of them. 21% said they'd favor national legalization, and 25% would rather just keep prohibition. If you're fully vaccinated and boosted, that might make a, cho- a decision on how you uh, what you vote on this. So fully vaccinated and boosted people were more likely to support nationwide legalization, 58% of them, in fact. 19% of fully vaccinated and boosted people support the state's decision, and 11% said prohibition only, please. 
partially vaccinated without a booster means that 40% of those folks said they want national legalization. Uh, 30% of the partially vaccinated without the booster says the state should decide, and 19% says keep it illegal. The non-vaccinated cohort had the lowest support of legalization, but the 60% of them, majority of them, chose alternatives to prohibition, which was kind of interesting. This is a YouGov survey. So they asked questions about abortion rights, sex rights, same-sex marriage, and a lot of other things. This was interviews with over 1,500 adults from May 8th to the 10th. And it's just one of the latest polls that we're seeing to demonstrate the growing, increasing, and bipartisan popularity of cannabis reform. Last month, um, other polls uh, found that cannabis legalization in Joy's significantly majority support. Most Americans saying they'd be likely to support polit- more likely to support politicians at back reform. Another recent survey said that a uh, majority of Americans, including most Republicans, do support decriminalization. And a landmark study that came out recently uh, found that the cannabis policy changes are popular in Europe also, with about 55% of people from eight major countries backing cannabis legalization. So lots of numbers here, but overall, I think the the uh, numbers don't lie, again, like Shakira's hips. So I would love to hear what everyone has to say on this issue. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I, I don't understand why they, why they were, were, were asking the question whether or not you're vaccinated to ask this type of a question. That just does, seems to conflate too many different issues. I think they're just trying to get an overall feel from where people are coming from, you know, just I know, but that's that, that's that's a HIPAA violation for them to be inquiring people's uh, uh, status like that. Uh, you know, ge- that's not a general type of poll question. <laughs> is it, is it, it's a HIPAA violation? Really? Fuck yeah, it is. Voluntary, dude. It's a voluntary poll. There's no HIPAA <laughs> So it's a voluntary violation, per- Liz? <laughs> You're perfectly <laughs> able to say no or no answer or whatever. I just tell them all to go fuck themselves. You are fake news. <laughs> Jason is on one this Let's morning. Keep... I love it. Yes. HIPAA violation. Nay, yay, yay. It's facts, Chris. Let's keep some look in the news. Facts. Coming next to the stage, this former Northern California cop and dope dad trading his gun and badge for a blunt and a notepad. He's a cannabis security consultant for CC Security Solutions and our go-to guy for law enforcement stories from an insider's point of view, not from the barrel of a gun. Up next, it's Chris Eggers. What do you have for us this morning, Chris? Hey, Jason. Thank you so much for the intro. Uh, Good afternoon out here from New York, where I just landed. Um, My article today comes out of Tacoma, Washington. And the article reads, I'm sorry, the headline reads, State Liquor and Cannabis Board announces free voluntary security assessments for pot shops. So this is in response to over 84 armed robberies that have occurred in uh, the state of Washington. Uh, The state of Washington Liquor and Cannabis Board announced on Friday that it is contracted uh, with a private security team to provide free on-site security assessment for individual pot shops, according to this article. The move comes after pot shops in western Washington have seen dramatic increase in armed robberies, some of them turning deadly. At the end of March, over 50 uh, pot shops reported robberies. Uncle Ike's, which has several pot shops located across Puget Sound, has been keeping its own records since 2017, but as of April 28th, which is the last robbery entry, they reported 84 armed robberies so far this year. We are very, very happy that LCB is recognizing the problem. We don't want the training to be, but hopefully there will be some valuable tips to keep our staff and customers safe, said Ian Eisenberg, owner of Uncle Ike's. 
according to Brian Smith in this article, he says that this is absolutely in response to the robberies. They operate primarily in cash. That's not true of any other business in the state of Washington, which potentially makes them a target. We think that the rash of violent robberies that have happened in 2022 are linked to that legislation meant to offer release stalled at the federal level. So the security assessments uh, offered will take a look at possible security and crime prevention methods in approximately 180 cannabis shops in Pierce, King, and Snohomish counties. Among the services security company Cetricon will provide include, one, working with retailers to assess potential security risks, two, review criminal threats facing the retailer, three, evaluate and document present mitigations and suggest solutions for improvement, and four, providing retailers with a report of the findings. Um, Jeffrey Slotnick is the president of Cetricon. He says, so that the retailer can stay in business, so that they can do what they do best, and we can help them to have a sense of security and safety in real fashion. Uh, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, And then there's another article that uh, touches on this as well, and it said that Senator Pat Murray held a press conference on 420 at a Seattle area cannabis shop and emphasized that she will push for marijuana banking reform. Um, I think this is a step in the right direction. I think that you know, getting away from uh, leaning on law enforcement to solve this problem, I think a public par- a public private partnership is a step in the right direction. Um, I think the scope is is limited, um, and I, I have a few questions. I think that these need to be conducted under a mutual non disclosure agreement. Um, first and foremost, but uh, we'll continue to follow this story. I think it's a step in the right direction. Curious if any of the, anybody on, in the audience is from Washington State and wants to weigh on this. My name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Pass safe banking. Free cannabis prisoners. All of them. And don't forget to pass safe banking. I'm glad to see that there's actually some support to try to help people because I feel like it's been a lot of talk thus far, so I hope this is actually effective. I'm with you, Liz. I think this is a, a great program, and I think this is definitely what uh, government should be uh, utilizing some of their resources for to help protect the public, uh, the public will um, of the community. So this is this, this is a win. Absolutely, a step in the right direction. I think that uh, uh, again, this needs to to be done outside of of law enforcement and the regulatory bodies. I think that you know, I talk to a lot of operators that don't you know, use some of the resources that are available because, you know, for example, uh, in the city of Oakland, you know, you can get an assessment done by, um, somebody from the cannabis, uh, team at, at OPD, but I know a lot of operators are, are fearful of doing that because they think that, you know, if they're out of compliance, that they're going to get fined or dinged. And, you know, I don't, I don't blame them for that mentality. You'd be targeted. That's 100% correct. Let's keep it moving so we can bring it home. Are you talking Is- about the cop gangs, Rico? I can talk about the cop gangs all day long, man. You know about them, too, out here in Los Angeles. They're deep, and they got guns. Yes, they do. We do, too. Anyways, this princess of pot is also an attorney at law focusing on cannabis, entertainment, and psychedelics, and does a phenomenal job documenting all her adventures on social media and through her appropriately titled podcast, Shall We Toke? Coming to the stage next is Shalina Panu. What you got for us? Bring us home. Thanks so much, Rico. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Cannabis Has Entered the Metaverse Via Canaland. According to PR Newswire, Cannabis Tech, which is a leading cannabis metaverse platform that assists companies entering the new Web3 and the metaverse, just announced their first cannabis-focused metaverse called Canaland. The purpose of Canaland is to connect every facet of the cannabis and hemp communities, revolutionizing the marketplace and opening the landscape for globalization of current and future brands. 
Canaland uses an innovative blockchain payment system to empower cultivators, growers, testing labs, wholesalers, manufacturers, medical dispensaries, retailers, and consumption lounges with the ability to scale and monetize their brands while directly addressing the existing gaps in the cannabis industry. Canna versus Tech's meta marketplace on the blockchain revolutionizes the global cannabis industry by connecting every facet Oh, I think I, that's a double. Sorry. As further stated by PR Newswire, utilizing their experience in the blockchain, crypto, and cannabis industries, Cannabis Tech has created Canland, a complete cannabis-themed community and meta marketplace where all aspects of socially responsible cultivation, extraction, manufacturing, distribution, retail sale, and consumption of cannabis and hemp products can be enjoyed by residents of the community. Canaland's metaverse has an innovative approach to community building, revenue generation, and product marketing, manufacturing, and merchandising for cannabis brands looking to distinguish themselves in an increasingly crowded uh, physical marketplace. Cannabis CEO Mark, Bronner, Mark Bonner stated, with the recent exponential growth of the cannabis industry, along with the growing popularity of crypto tokens and EFTs, right now is the perfect time to support the industry by providing them with the tools and marketplace to revo revolutionize the industry. At Cannaverse Tech, we saw the convergence of cannabis and crypto and are working to modernize the trade by addressing and resolving the existing gaps in the industry. As stated on their website, Cannaland is a unique platform which, in which enables worldwide businesses to operate virtually within one domain without boundaries and without the constraints of the localized regulations that exist. This opens a landscape for the globalization of current and future cannabis brands while providing major consumer products, beverages, and other related products with a way to enter the virtual cannabis market and build their own brands. Further, Canaland is a unique platform which enables worldwide businesses to operate virtually within one domain without boundaries and without constraints of the localized regulations that exist. This opens a landscape for the global of current and future cannabis brands while providing major consumer products, beverages, and other related products with the way to enter the virtual cannabis market and build their own cannabis brands. What do you think about cannabis entering the metaverse? My name is Shalina, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. How are you going to tax that shit? How are you going to deliver it? I don't understand. Dude, there's only got to be isolates in that metaverse. I'm just saying, whole plant grows in the real world, and no electricity, no metaverse. So, oh yeah, no entourage effect. I mean, all the booth smokers should only get weed from the metaverse because that's basically what they're doing anyway. It's meta OG. The booth. You said the booth. Booth. You don't need a booth vest. How, how can you tell booth is booth in the metaverse, Jason? That's my whole wow. point, Rico. That's where all these booth sellers can sell their booth is in the metaverse because no one's going to know the fucking difference. Oh, you just blew my mind. <laughs> the booth verse. The we booth have verse. reached the top of the hour. Yes, we're done with the booth. We're done with the show. Thank you so much. It was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that come through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. Thank you, Rico and Jason, for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state or country. You take us deeper into the story, you add color, and sometimes provide amazing sound bites. Let's do another one. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye.
<笑>そうだろうね。